Hey yo. Hey. <laughs> this is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. And, and this is an encounter. Oh. Oh. Hi. <laughs> you just looked like I punished you. Oh my gosh. I made a mistake. Oops. <laughs> you that was so cute. <laughs> Your inner child just came out. It's because I'm wearing braids. You said this before when I was wearing braids in a different one. You were like, you look younger. <laughs> I made... But also you went, whoops. You like hid. You went into your shell. Oh my gosh, that was adorable. I was like, don't look at um, me. I made a mistake. <laughs> Try again. We are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hi. I'm Sabrina. And this is... An Encounters episode. And I have a really, really long one, Corinne. So... I will go second if you want to go first. Okay. Let me start with my my longer one and then we'll do the longest one and then I'll end with a short one. Maybe that's the way that it will be helpful to my brain and my reading. We can do whatever we want. Well, I'm really just trying to make my own decisions for my own eyeballs and my ability to read. Okay. This is called, I once held hands with the night tag. Hey girls. Absolutely love your podcast. I always listen to it when I'm in the shower or washing the dishes, and I often find myself out loud saying commentary like, oh my gosh, and no, and that was freaking scary. Anyways, (laughs) I love what you do, and I look forward to it every week. Here is my scary story. Enjoy. This all starts with my childhood home. I'm not sure if there was an entity brought into it at some point or if it had a portal or maybe even if it was built on Native American burial ground because I live in Wisconsin and they are everywhere. But there was definitely something there. I began noticing things when I was in middle school. Mostly I would see movement out of the corner of my eye and hear noises upstairs when I was downstairs and home alone. But things began to ramp up once I was in high school. At this point, one of my family members was having a lot of issues with their mental health and with addiction, and I fully believe it attracted negative energy into our house. I started to feel like I was being watched and I would hear voices at night. Sometimes it was just a single voice shouting out words or names and other times it sounded like a muffled party was going on somewhere else in the home. Men's voices, women's voices, children's voices. They were talking, they were shouting, they were even whispering all at once. I do love a ghost party. (laughs) I know. It reminds me of the Haunted Mansion ride at Disney. And they're all dancing through the ballroom. This is also when I began to experience sleep paralysis. Mm, Don't love that. Mm -mm. It was always the same time. I would lay on my back with my hands on my chest or at my sides when suddenly I would see a black shadow of a tall man standing over me. My whole body would be vibrating and the figure would be breathing deeply. With each inhale, he would come closer to my body and the vibrations would intensify. And when he exhaled, he would pull away from my body and the vibrations would lessen. I couldn't move, speak, or breathe. I would try calling out for my mom, but my mouth but my mouth couldn't open. So all that would come out was this pitiful, mm, and she surely wouldn't hear. The only way I could wake up out of my sleep paralysis episodes was gasping for air because essentially I was suffocating. When this started happening, my alarm clock would go off some of the nights at 3.23 a.m. Nope. One time, it even went off when it was unplugged. (laughs) Oh my God. Now, jumping forward to when I was in college, I still experienced sleep paralysis, but not as often, especially since I was away from home. Taking extra precautions to decrease the likelihood of it happening, I began sleeping on my stomach with my hands under my body, completely covered by the comforter from head to toe. One afternoon, I was studying for final exams. It was a mild spring day, so I had the curtains drawn and the windows were open. 
My bedroom lights were on as well, so I could read my notes and textbooks clearly. I started to get tired and I decided I would just take a quick cat nap. I left everything as it was, curtains drawn, windows open, and the lights were on. I burrowed under my comforter and I began drifting to sleep on my stomach, except my hands weren't under my body. They were laying on either side of my head, and I knew I was in a deep sleep when suddenly something shifted. I sensed movement on the other side of my bed. I tried to fully wake up, but my body was paralyzed. Knowing that this was sleep paralysis, I prepared myself to see the same shadow figure loom over me, but instead, my comforter slowly began to lift up, and an old, wrinkled hand inched towards me. The comforter continued to shift and to move until an old woman started to crawl onto my bed towards me. To be honest, she looked like the old witch from Snow White, which makes me laugh now, but it was certainly terrifying in the moment. She trying to spoon? She's, I guess. <laughs> the old woman was looking at me, making full eye contact when she grabbed my left hand and started to pull my hand and arm towards her. She had a menacing smirk on her face. I tried calling for my roommate, whose name was Molly. So again, the only sound I could make was this pitiful, mm -hmm, but I knew she couldn't hear. Oh my gosh. The old woman was still smirking at me and pulling me closer to her, but then her smile faltered. She looked past my shoulder, cocked her head to one side a little bit, and started to retreat back towards where she came from. She let go of my hand, but I could still feel her touch. It felt like a vibration that lingered on my hand. She crawled backwards off my bed until the comforters fell flat, but not before giving me one last menacing smirk. And that is when I fully woke up. I still felt her holding my hand. Still terrified, I willed myself to look only to find that my right hand, which had absolutely no feelings or sensations in it, grabbing my still vibrating left hand. My heart was racing as I was still too scared to come up from under my little burrow, thinking the old woman was standing there in my room in the middle of the day. But I took a deep breath and I quickly threw my comforter off only to reveal my bright, sunny, and completely empty bedroom. Okay, good. I thought that was going to take another turn. I know. Later that day, I told my roommate I had a really odd episode of sleep paralysis and even tried calling out for her. And she said, oh yeah, I thought I heard something coming from your room. I haven't seen or dreamt of the old woman since that day. I fully believed my guardian angel was behind me, protecting me from her. And after that experience, I also stopped having sleep paralysis involving the tall shadow man. To this day, because of those incidents and a few others, I always feel a shield of bright light that engulfs my body, protecting me from negative entities. Oh, and one last thing. This year, my parents sold my childhood home. The housing market was nuts and houses were going quick, but for some reason, our house was taking months to get sold. One day, I was talking to my sister about the reasons why that could be. I think people can sense a residual energy in it when they tore it. I even called my parents telling them that they should get the house cleansed or blessed again. 15 years after I started experiencing sleep paralysis, I finally told my sister about what I went through while living there, including my alarm clock going off at 3.32 a.m. She was already away in college when these events started happening. That's when she told me that when she was living at home, she would randomly wake up at 3.23 a.m. almost every night. Stop. Not only that but she would also have the vibrating sleep paralysis experiences with the tall shadow man inhaling and exhaling over her. Thank you for reading my story and happy hauntings, Grace. That, just the imagery of the tall man breathing over them. I know. Ugh, it's so weird. At first I was, this is what I had kind of hoped for a moment 
when Grace was describing just like being on her stomach and feeling this kind of the old hag crawl up her in the sleep paralysis state. One, it proves that the sleep paralysis was not triggered by her sleep position, but rather just like the energy and entities around her. Yep. By her spooky assness. Yes. But I was like, oh my gosh, I hope that this is a moment for this tall, lurking, shadowy man to redeem himself. Maybe he was like her protector and he was the one that was like, get away from her and scaring the hag away. But it sounds like there was something else that stepped in and was just like, all right, be gone, everybody. Yeah. I feel like this tall man and this lanky, bony woman um, are cousins, if not twins. If not the same thing. What if it's sort of like a, however, whatever vulnerable state you're in, it takes a different form. The thing grabbing and holding her hand is so gross. It is. It's so disturbing. I just hate it so much. And also just the fact that like, it's not just waking up at a certain time every night. Yeah. That's scary enough. But your alarm clock that's not even plugged in still trying to wake you up at that time. No. Is that a culmination of all the paranormal energy that is buzzing around the room at that moment that is triggering and like making the electronics kind of falter? Or do you think that was perhaps a spirit guide or some good energy at that point trying to wake her up and be like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I do kind of feel like it was a protective thing because it's like, if you wake up, then this thing can't happen to you. Yeah. I will say the other day I found a spider nestled into this blanket that I just wrapped over my body. And so I have such fear, like my heart just (laughs) like my started racing a little bit, but I did wash it. And I used our new sponsor, Laundry Sauce, and it smells so freaking good. Oh, it smells anyway. so good. Anyway, I am on Spider Watch. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as fearful of spiders anymore, and I don't want to kill them, but if it, that just gives me the heebie-jeebies still. Like, picking up a blanket or, like, putting on a sweatshirt, and it's like, in there with you. No. Ugh. I would say I have a bad memory for my own, like, life events and stuff, things that happened in my life and what food I ate that day or what we talked about on the podcast. But I have the sharpest memory when it comes to where I have found and killed spiders. (laughs) Every experience with a spider, you remember, it's chronicled. It's locked away. It is like my main core island, the spider (laughs) island. (laughs) What a spooky, scary (laughs) island in your brain. Yeah. Okay. So I have an email from our listener, Piper. And it's like five different emails, but it's all one story. I think Piper had to send it to us in multiple because it's so long. So this is part one and two is what we will start with. It is a series. Hey, ladies, I keep trying to send this to you, but it won't send. My dad is a huge Bigfoot enthusiast, and he typed up an incredible encounter I've been trying to send it to you, but maybe there are too many attachments. So I'm splitting it up in multiple emails. This will be the first. I hope that you can read them for the Bigfoot special that Corinne is doing. That would be amazing. But you know what? Every episode can be a Bigfoot special (laughs) if we want it to be. Now we get to celebrate in September. I love this so much because it's like Piper's dad typed this up and numbered every page. There's even a title page. It's called The Golden Incident. The Golden Incident. Okay, I'm fully in. Howdy from Denton, Texas. David here, currently 51 years of age. I've been passively interested in the Sasquatch topic for many years now. I guess it started with shows on TV about the Patterson-Gimlin film, etc. I am 
also hugely into fishing, constantly looking for new water that others have overlooked. I don't mind hiking distances through the muck that other fishermen won't in order to find something new or hidden. This is a perfect type of person for Bigfoot hunting. Yes. Then in spring of 2016, I found and photographed large human-like footprints while out hiking and fishing the wooded creeks here in North Texas, 12 inches long, which would be a size 15 men's, men's shoe size. I found smaller tracks as well. In 2017, again in late spring, same area, same thing, human-like tracks. Spring 2020, a a friend also found and photographed tracks in that area. Not proof, but who goes barefoot in Texas? As Wes Germer says, everything in Texas tries to kill you. These tracks were found in boggy floodplains amongst all other tracks of deer, feral hogs, bobcat, cougar, raccoon, opossum, etc. Also, I was once overnight in southeast Oklahoma, and late at night around 3 a.m., I heard a single long vocalization about half a mile away across the river and up on a high ridge. It went from low pitch to high, starting out like a howler monkey and ending not unlike a peacock. (gasps) Nothing but trees are up on that ridge. There have been many reports in that area, and even David Politis has mentioned a cluster of Bigfoots there. This also, the sound that he just described sounds so much like the Sierra sounds that we listened to in part three of the Bigfoot special. Yes. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So that's when I really began to watch videos, read people's stories, and I started to listen to interviews on Sasquatch Chronicles, etc., learning about the consistent patterns of behavior of the shaggy ones. Ooh, I like that, the shaggy ones. The shaggy ones. Unsure why, but I am fascinated by the subject just as much as I am by fishing. Well, this past summer, I inadvertently combined the two. I have been pursuing an elusive fish, which has become sort of a unicorn for me. The golden trout. I've caught all other types of trout, but not a golden. I spent the past three summers in the mountains of Colorado and Wyoming, still without catching my unicorn. When I finally do, it will be the most expensive fish dinner a man has ever had. (laughs) Plans to immediately eat your golden trout. Yes. This past year, I researched southeastern Wyoming and all the possible golden trout locations there. They call it the Snowy Range in the Medicine Bow National Forest. I had never heard of it, and I presumed only a few locals ever go there. One small lake purportedly that has golden trout, but from satellite images, it looked a bit squatchy to me. Overgrown logging roads, no maintained trails, a lot of bushwhacking. I knew this would be too much effort for 99% of people who attempt, and the other 1% had no reason to go there. So even before I left Texas, I decided that I would not go to that little lake either. I even wrote on the map, in quotes, scary. (laughs) (laughs) So it's mid-August of 2020. I'm in Wyoming and I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I chose the southeast part of the state because it's very far from the tourists of Yellowstone and presumably very few people would go there. I've been wrong before, but geez, due to the pandemic, everyone seemed to have discovered the outdoors. Caravans, trains of cars, trucks, travel trailers, and RVs all headed into the mountains. Weekends were even worse. So now it's a Friday evening and all of my carefully laid out plans for avoiding people are a total bust. Except one. That scary looking lake Mm. that I swore I wouldn't go to. Of course. I feel like David might be Bigfoot himself. (laughs) Like He's got Bigfoot personality. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is also the beginning of every scary movie where it's like, you weren't supposed to go there. You've been warned against it. Everything's telling you no, but you just want something so bad that you overlook it. And you're like, it'll be fine. I'll be okay. In pursuit of your golden trout. The golden trout. So it's Saturday morning, August 15th, 2020, in the tiny town of Centennial, Wyoming. I'm sipping coffee and debating with myself. Either I wait out the hordes of people until Monday, wasting two glorious vacation days in the Rockies, or I go to the rogue, scary lake. So the internal debate with myself went like this. A, what are the odds that little old me would be lucky enough to run into a squatch? B, Hell, the moose are more dangerous than the squatches, I think, and I've already navigated moose before. C. I have a GPS Garmin with an emergency beacon. D. I have a 9mm pistol. Fuck it. Let's go. <laughs> Besides, it's so remote, the golden trout won't be overfished. They'll probably be stupid, gullible, and easy to catch. Decision made. I head up the dirt road and into the mountains past a couple of campgrounds packed with hundreds of people camped shoulder to shoulder, essentially one big party. And an hour later, I finally find my spot and park in an abandoned logging road with a gate blocking vehicle access. I leave a note on the dashboard stating where I'm going, when I should return, and who to call if I don't. Smart. I gear up and I begin hiking the old logging road, which is now becoming overgrown. I'm guessing it hadn't been used nor maintained for 10 years or so. So I was admittedly a bit on edge. I grew up in the woods of Tennessee and Texas as a kid, but this was different. Remote bushwhacking alone in the Rockies with all manner of potentially dangerous terrain and creatures. I'm no Steve Istall, but I'm determined to deal with it, learn, adapt, overcome, hell or high water. Within 10 minutes of my hike, a bunch of some sort of mountain grouse bird thingies spooked and flew up damned near at my feet. A few seconds later, I felt kind of silly for pointing a pistol at some stupid birds. Still on the logging road around half an hour later, I heard exactly what so many others have described. 50 feet into dense woods at my left, crashing trees, breaking branches, loud huffing. Oh no. I was startled as hell and frozen. Then, to my relief, I heard the distinct sounds of hoods clatter hooves clattering on rocks. Then, on the road ahead of me, a huge bull elk appeared. It stopped, looked at me, snorted in disgust, and trotted off into the woods on the right side of the road. I had spooked a small herd of elk. Thank you, baby Jesus. <laughs> and then I began to feel silly about pointing a pistol at stupid elk. Eventually, according to my GPS, I had to leave the easy road and start bushwhacking. About two-thirds of the way to the lake, I was crossing a huge meadow and spotted some tents and a few horses. There must be a better way in here, I thought, as these people clearly didn't come in on my route, but it put me more at ease knowing that they're locals who weren't freaked out about this area. Eventually, around 2 p.m., I spotted blue water through the trees and emerged into a paradise. The area was so much more beautiful than the satellite images had hinted at. I roamed around and found a campsite that the loggers had originally set up. Huge three-foot diameter logs around the fire pit turned up on end, which made perfect tables. No trash, no trace of human activity for at least a year, maybe more. I was eager to fish but I am as patient as a python and decided it would be better to set up in daylight. Besides, the fishing is usually better at dusk. So small tent set up, massive amount of firewood collected, cooking gear arranged, pooping log found and prepared. <laughs> I 
I need time to, to catch, know more about that. <laughs> time to catch my first golden trout. Boy, was I confident. I could see fish rising to insects feeding on the surface. I strung up my fly rod and set up a camera on a tripod to record my momentous moment of the catch. Half an hour later, nothing. Stupid smart fish. Then a gust of wind tangled my fishing line into a horrid rat's nest. I approached the camera to turn it off and said something like, I'm terrible at this and I'm hearing wood knocks. Great. I do not remember this statement. I only noticed it later when reviewing the video back home in Texas. I was apparently so engrossed in catching my first golden trout that I was ignoring or dismissing the obvious. Something was watching me and setting status reports to another, <gasps> but on with the fishing. After a couple hours and after changing fly patterns half a dozen times, I continued to be outsmarted by these stupid yet smart fish. Then suddenly... Finally, as daylight was beginning to fade, I cast out an emerger out, and as soon as it hit the water, sploosh, the fly was attacked violently, and the fight is on. Play it carefully, reel it in close, grab the net, got him! I grab it to inspect the glory, and it's a freaking cutthroat trout. Damn it. I immediately began formulating a harshly worded letter to the Wyoming Fish and Game Department responsible for the faulty information that led me to this godforsaken place. <laughs> oh well. At least I had dinner. I killed it humanely and headed back to the little campsite. By now it's getting pretty dark. It's around 8.30 p.m. I puttered about for a while, built a nice fire, prepared cooking gear, reflected on the day's events, including the cow moose I spotted bedding down in the far meadow at twilight. Cool. I have some company. Dark now. Very dark. No moon. No wind. No sounds other than that of the crackling campfire. I was knelt down by the fire doing something boring like watching the butter melting when it happened. Two booms in the distance, echoing through the forest about a hundred yards behind me across the pond. It sounded like a baseball bat hitting a large dead pine tree. From listening to a thousand recallings of people telling their stories, I instantly knew what this was. Wood knocking. The Sasquatch walkie-talkie. I froze in place, thinking, shit, please, no, no. Heart racing, adrenaline flowing, a spatula in my hand. Then things went from bad to worse. Ten or so seconds after the first two knocks, a hundred yards behind me, another single knock, wood on wood, this time to my right, but closer, maybe 50 yards into the forest. Then around 10 seconds later, a third sound to my left, this time, clack, like a rock, smacking rock. Again, 50 yards into the forest. These sounds were forming a rough triangle around me. I tried like hell to talk myself out of what I knew was going on. It's a herd of elk, but, but elk sleep at night, don't they? <laughs> it's just dead branches falling, a cooling temperatures thing. It's, it's those horse packers pranking me. Right as if they'd walk a mile in the pitch black with no lights just to prank a presumably armed stranger. All these arguments flew right out the window when, 10 minutes or so later, the pattern of knocks repeated exactly. Two would knock behind me, a single would knock to my right, and a single rock clank to my left, all timed exactly as before. And all at the same distances as before. At some point, there was the strangest whistle almost like a blackbird, which has a crackling to it, yet different. At some point, I hear a branch break somewhere nearby, and I realize I am surrounded. This is so 
terrifying. Completely alone. Utterly alone. In the dark. No moon. Nothing. In an area most people won't go. In an area most people have still logged on their map as do not go here. Yeah. Miles away from his car, too. Jeez. I began to weigh my options. Do I hike out? Hell no. Fire a couple warning shots? No. I don't want to be the first to escalate the situation. Start digging my own grave? Shoot. I don't have a shovel. I kept swiveling my head around, looking for any eye shine with my headlamp. Nothing. I began looking for my cluster's last stand and decided that I could get back into the nearby root ball of a huge drowned pine tree. But for the moment, I was still frozen at the fire, and I had been for about 15 minutes. For the first time, I now knew what the word terror meant. I will describe it as fearing for your life for an extended period of time. Not like a sudden car accident when you're scared for a few moments and realizing you're fine. That's startled. Terror is a completely different animal. At age 51, this was completely new to me. I've seen people die in horrific ways and have lost a lot of sleep over it. I've had PTSD, but this, this was different. Not necessarily worse, but different. Maybe because there was one little difference, hope. By around midnight, not much else had happened and I noticed the dead fish just sitting there on the log table. Do they want the fish? Is that what this is about? Should I throw it to them? But that wouldn't be fair. It might piss off the other ones. So finally, I made a decision. I built a huge fire, cooked my damn fish, and ate it while I knew they were watching. A kind of fatalism took over me. You guys, you're going to kill me. You would have done it by now. You can still try, but my pistol will at least sting. I can't hike out in this darkness and don't feel like doing it anyway, so I'm stuck here with you, and you all are stuck with me. Honestly, I feel like the confidence might save David. Well... I guess he he did write this email, so we know we do have this we email. Know he's alive, though. <laughs> but I feel like that's that's yeah. confusing to the Bigfoots. It's like, oh Maybe. well, he's pretty confident. He doesn't seem to be bothered by us. Should we even bother being bothered by him? Maybe not. Like your move, Maybe David. Just keeping keeping tabs. So that's exactly what I did. I relaxed. I acted normal. I ignored them. I cooked my trout in butter, lemon, salt, and pepper. Best trout I ever had. I had decided that they were probably just curious, and I was simply their entertainment for the night. Around 2 a.m., I decided that the show was over, put some huge logs on the fire that would burn all night. I crawled into my little tent, put the pistol near my head, put on an audiobook, drank my allotment of bourbon, and drifted peacefully off to sleep. Hell of a long day. Around first light, I had my one and only nightmare of this incident. I dreamt that a giant hand was collapsing the tent and reaching for my head. I woke yelling, ah, go away. <laughs> But the time my groping hand reached for my pistol, I realized that the tent was intact and it was only a bad dream. So I fell back to sleep without further incident. When finally I awoke a couple hours later, I emerged and wandered around camp. Nothing had been disturbed. All of my gear was exactly where I had left it. Cool. I built up the fire, boiled some water, made some coffee. It was good. I prepared a freeze-dried breakfast pouch that was made for two. I wasn't very hungry, ate a quarter of it, and after that began cleaning up camp, preparing for the hike. Back to my car. Fully packed and ready to go, I debated what to do with nearly two pounds of leftover breakfast. I hate to leave trash, but I also hate to waste food. So I decided I'm going to leave it for the Bigfoot. At least they would realize that our human food is not worth fighting over. (laughs) The hike out was uneventful, and when another group of stupid grouse startled me again, I didn't even point a gun at them. And now here are some add-ins and afterthoughts months after the incident. One. Also, I'm sad, David, that you didn't get your golden trout. I'm sorry. I know. 
Me too. But I would argue you got something even more rare. Bigfoot encounter. All right, here are some afterthoughts and insights. One, about the wood knocking and other sounds. If the people who have camped there in the past knew nothing of Sasquatch and their reported behaviors, they probably never would have noticed these unusual sounds over their laughter, banter, and clunking around. They would have been oblivious and ignorance is bliss. So that was my reasoning at the time to act oblivious because there was no sign of past carnage. I eventually calmed down and decided I'd simply act like a normal clueless camper, no need to wave my gun around. I'm rather pleased with myself for not being that guy in the horror movie that panics and gets himself killed because of it. Two, thank God they didn't vocalize, howl, or growl as many others have experienced. That they did not give me the get the hell out warnings put me at ease. Though I didn't consciously register that at the time. The fact that they were communicating amongst themselves with the knocking, yet sending no direct message to me personally, has led me to assume that I was simply their Sasquatch TV for the evening. Especially because he was solo, you know? I feel like if you're in a group of a couple people, maybe you'd get the warning. And if you're in a group that's huge, perhaps you wouldn't at all because then you're so big that you're they're not going to start something. Right, because they feel outnumbered. Three, the two knocker on the other side of the lake could not have seen me clearly. The other two much closer could observe me. I hypothesize that perhaps the parents on the other side of the lake were letting the juveniles get some experience with us weirdo humans Perhaps the two knocks were asking, y'all all right? The single knock replies were saying, yeah, mom, we're fine. The human is acting cool. <laughs> but this is just my guess. Cool. I love that. As far as the phenomena that may have been talked about, the sixth sense or hair standing on end, oddly enough, did not happen here. I backed out of other areas before, which was to me, not a sixth sense, but more logic. In the past, while fishing a certain river, I thought, There are cougars in this area. It's getting dark. I'm alone. And there are cliffs to my back. Time to go. I am not a very emotional person. And here at this logging camp alone in Wyoming, surrounded by three of these creatures. Yeah, I was terrified, but it was a logical kind of terrified because of what I already knew and not necessarily a sixth sense. If I had a strong sixth sense, then would I not have turned around as soon as I arrived at this remote lake? So either I don't have a finely tuned sixth sense or the area was safe and I could tell these guys weren't the asshole types. Maybe both. Who knows? I do feel like it's both. I feel like it's both too. Yeah. You know when you're in danger. It's just like with a dog, you know? Most people aren't afraid of dogs. I love dogs, but there's still sometimes a dog when you're like, oh, that's not a dog that you go up to and pet. I do feel like the sixth sense is a bit of a gut feeling. Mm -hmm. Like it's using a combination of logic and trusting how you physically feel. Totally. Okay. Number five, and this is the last additional thoughts. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I've had it happen in my early twenties, but fades more and more as the years go by. I'm genuinely surprised and relieved that this incident seems to have not affected me as far as PTSD. I think about it every day. I can't help it, but I don't lose sleep over it. And I don't have any nightmares other than that one that I had while I was at the campsite. I hypothesize that maybe Because I was educated and informed about Sasquatch and their reported behaviors beforehand, maybe it wasn't as traumatizing as it would be for someone with no knowledge nor preparation. This is one more reason the public needs to know and the cover-ups need to be stopped. I agree with you. That is from David via Piper, who is David's daughter. My biggest thing is, Piper, you sent a lot of images of this story, but the thing that is missing 
is your dad's photographed imagery of the human-like massive feet. Yes, because that's where it all started. That was page one. Yes, we need that. I'm just like, I'm flabbergasted. It sounds like where David was going, the likelihood of being able to encounter a Bigfoot seems high. So me as someone who wants an experience, but like a safe experience is a little bit tempted to go there along with like one or two other people for safety. Okay, well, we can go. What if we find the, if we've, if I spot a golden trout, David, I will call you. I would, okay. So my, my biggest takeaway from this is David, why did you not fish again the next morning in hopes of catching that golden trout? Probably because David survived one day without being a threat, but the more you lurk and loom in someone else's territory, that their perception of you could change. Risk gets higher. Risk gets higher. Yeah. Maybe the Bigfoot eat all the golden trout. Maybe they do. That's their caviar. It's, it's for extra special evenings. And the, and they realize that David wasn't eating a golden trout. They're like, okay, that's fine. We'll watch you eat your cutthroat trout. Ugh, a basic trout. Have that every Friday. Basic trout. I'm looking for a Sunday dinner. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, my gosh. I'm curious, too, about how the elk live and the wildlife lives in harmony with Bigfoot. Because an elk is a creature that could easily spook, you know, like a deer or something like that. But it sounds like despite there being Bigfoot activity, it didn't stop the elk from crossing and living and hanging out in that area. It was still just like moving about, doing its own thing, trotting away. For a minute, I thought we were about to encounter hoofed Bigfoots for a second. I was like, whoa. (laughs) I feel like they, I mean, this is the thing. We're all just trying to survive mm-hmm. circle of life here. And I feel like Bigfoot is the same. Elks are the same. They're all like, we have this beautiful little lake here at our home and we can share it. There's enough room for all of us. I love the idea that it was a Bigfoot family too. And that they were just like checking in on each other, making sure everyone's good. You're just seeing from afar. Oh, man. I want to see a Bigfoot so bad. I know. But don't you think you would be like scared? You, I feel like you'd be actually terrified. I would be. I might have PTSD. <laughs> David didn't, but I might. I don't know. I feel like I'd be into it. It depends on what kind of experience, you know, because we've read so many where people are like chased and attacked. and But then we've read just as many where there's just like they're not viewed as a threat, that they come across something kind of polite and you're just curious about each other. It depends on what type of experience I get. I think I'd be very excited. I'd be both scared and excited. It's kind of like skydiving. I've never been because I'm too scared. But I feel like it's the same sort of thing where it's you're so thrilled after it happens, but you're probably so, so scared as it's happening and right before it, the anticipation. Okay, so this just, (laughs) I think because you said skydiving, I just thought about this. It's kind of tangentially related. And I only say it because I know you're scared of this and you have no desire to do this, but getting a tattoo. I so badly feel it is only right that I get my second real tattoo with you because I got my first real tattoo with you. Hell yeah. And I feel it is only right that I get it on Friday the 13th. (gasps) You should. In Wilmington. Okay. Delaware, which is where our show is. So if anyone has recommendations, I really want like a single needle, very thin, thin line, line. Fine line ghost. tattoo. Oh. Tattoo? Where are you going to get it? I want to do like right here. I love that. Oh, this is so exciting. 
So let us know. And I think on Friday the 13th, they do like $13 spooky tattoos. Yeah, a lot of places do. I don't, I don't need a $13 tattoo. To, like that's not what I'm after. But I think getting a spooky tattoo on Friday the 13th while we're on tour is just the most serendipitous thing possible. So I'm going to do it. We have to whisper some good intentions into the ink before it goes into you. So then you're just like living with good luck forever in your arm. <laughs> liquid. I'll do it. Liquid tattoo You'll be luck. prepared. And the guy with the, the person with the needle would just be like, what the hell is going on? I'll just be leaning over like, <laughs> whispering my well wishes for you. <laughs> they would be like very concerned. They're like, ma'am, have you drank before this experience? <laughs> There's. I thought you just weren't supposed to be drunk getting a tattoo. There's nothing about the other person accompanying the person getting the tattoo that says. That's true. You can't be intoxicated. You get to do whatever you want. <laughs> Oh, wait, genius. Okay, yeah. Everyone send your recommendations if you know the area or know a tattoo artist in the in the area. And if not, then maybe when we're in Atlanta, Georgia for Halloween, on Halloween. weekend. Yes. Okay. Well, let's get contacts for all three. And we'll just do yeah. whatever feels Please. right for you in the moment. Yeah. Sounds good. Incredible. Great. Love it. Love it. All right, what do you have to end us on? One quick one. It's called Seven Layers of Hell. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Like seven layer bean dip, but with hell. Hello, ghostesses. Oh boy, do I have a story for you. My name is Maggie. She, her, been a fan for quite a while now. I've emailed you a few times a story about my sister being grabbed when we stayed in a hotel room and a story about some creepy dreams in a spooky house I lived in while growing up. At the end of that email, I said nothing has ever happened since, but boy, do I wish that was still true. I'm 23 now, and for almost four years, I've experienced nothing paranormal. Kind of sad. Kind of good. Until the other night, I had a seven-layer inception dream that ended with meeting a demon. No. Sorry, Maggie. You survived, though. You survived. The seven-layer bean dip of hell. <laughs> on new year's eve my boyfriend and his mom moved into a cute little farmhouse out in the farmland of pennsylvania red flag number one <laughs> pennsylvania red flag well okay then two farmhouse i knew what you meant i was just kidding <laughs> i know i like it and also keep in mind my mother lives in pennsylvania so no no hatred no 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 we're teasing because we know it where we have connection. Up until two weeks ago, I felt nothing spooky and have stayed many nights with them over the past month and a half. So I got a pretty good vibe from the house. One Friday night, I woke up around 2.30 and went to the bathroom. While I was doing my business, I heard the sound of a child's music box playing. It sounded like a little carnival music and I freaked out and stayed in the bathroom out of fear for the next 10 minutes until I got up the courage to run back into my boyfriend's cozy bed. The next morning, I told him about it and he summed it up to just being a sound from the phone, but we both kept our phones on silent constantly. And I can't think of a single app that I've heard from my phone or from his that would make that sound. So thoroughly creeped out, but I just tried to push it out of my mind. That was until the following Tuesday when I also spent the night and I had the worst nightmare of my entire life. I frequently have very vivid and lifelike dreams and also occasionally have inception dreams where I'll wake up out of my bed, go about my day, and then realize I'm dreaming and wake up for real, but nothing has ever been creepy about this. See, okay, that always makes me wonder if we're actually, that that makes me think that there is multiple timelines and like everything's existing at once because- Jumping into other conscious, conscience, yeah. consciousness. Consciousnesses. 
consciousnesses. Conch shells. Yep. Jumping into conch shells. Great. Sound of the sea. Do you hear it? Do you hear mermaids whispering to you in your conch shell? Do you hear what I hear? I thought you were going to say, do you hear the muffin man? (laughs) Oh my God. The muffin man. The muffin man. Who lives on the dreary lane? Okay. So, uh, Tuesday night, I go to bed. I wake up in what looks like my room, except the walls are stripped down to studs. His bed is in a different corner, and we can see straight into the attic. I start to get scared, and I point at something in the darkness, and then he looks at me, and a chill voice says, you're just dreaming. Wake up. So I wake up again in his bed. This time, the walls have more drywall on them, but they're not painted. His bed is still in the wrong corner. So I get out of bed and I start walking around where his closet is supposed to be. There's now a giant black hole. I walked up to it and bats fly out at me. (gasps) I get scared and I wake up again. The room looks more normal this time, but none of his decorations are up. And there's a figure standing in the doorway that is directly across the bed. I get scared and I wake up in his room, in his bed again, because this has happened four times now. And I know I'm dreaming and I can still feel my heart racing as the fear is building inside me. So I lay down and I go, quote, back to sleep. And then I wake up again. The black figure in the door was now at the side of the bed. The fear still there. And I go back to sleep. Then I wake up. The figure is standing directly over me. I look around and all of his decorations are up. I look over to my right where he's sleeping peacefully, but his closet door is wide open and the figure is staring at me. I scream at it to let me wake up. And then I see my face, my own face and its face, but with red eyes. It laughs at me and it says, you figured out my game, but you'll never be able to escape. My heart stops. I grab my pillow next to me and I chuck it at this demon. It disappears and I wake up for real this time. The room is calm. I'm in the position that I fell asleep in on my side, squeezing my pillow, the pillow that I had just chucked at this demon's face. And I immediately wake up my boyfriend and I tell him that I just had a seven layer inception dream and to please tell me that this right now is not a dream. He reassures me and he cuddles me until he starts snoring again. And at this point, it's 5 a.m. and the sun was just starting to come up and I put my headphones in and I watched some TikToks until I calm down. That was the worst dream I have ever had. And I truly believe it was a demon trying to play with my dream state since I also do very lucid dream a lot, but I'm just glad I was able to get out of it. Thanks for listening. Love you gals. See you on the other side. Maggie. Maggie, I hate to say this, but what if you're still in it? Oh, what in the inception? It is disturbing in so many regards, because it sounds like this farmhouse generally has like a spooky vibe, that there's something there that perhaps it's got like, not necessarily, a, I don't know, portal is a hard word to use. And I like don't want to say it in like a, I don't want to overuse portal because I think it can be, but like, it does feel like there's some energy there that allows things to come and go. And perhaps because it perceived that Maggie is more open, it targeted her. And it seems like it came from the closet. The closets are always creepy. Keep your doors shut. But the fact that it like wore Maggie's face and then laughed and was like, ha ha ha, you figured me out. Yeah, it's so creepy. It's just having fun. 
Well, it's also it's disturbing, I've, but I feel like it's its idea of fun. And it's totally after only Maggie, because the fact that no one else in the house thinks that they're just like, oh, you're just hearing a phone or it's just a dream or whatever. You know, everything's fine. And it almost seems like there's something passing through because Maggie did feel very peaceful at this farmhouse for a long time. And now all of this stuff is happening. But I think Maggie's very powerful in that she was able to fall asleep too. you know, like understanding that you're going to get closer to like you start at the bottom and and she's getting closer and closer to the real reality by like just making herself fall asleep again, even if there's this thing looming, lurking over you, like right at, at your side. Don't let it win, Maggie. You're stronger. Yeah. Tell us if anything else has happened at the farmhouse since. When did Maggie send this? Have you? Let's see. Oh, in February. Have you ever had this where you wake up and you're not actually awake and then you wake up again and you're not actually awake? Not double. No. I think I've definitely like woken up in my dream and thought that I, I was awake and had conversations and like went about life, but I've never gone back to sleep and woken up again, like in my dream and then realized I wasn't. I've never had the layer, just like a one time I'm waking yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Have you? Dreams are just so interesting. I don't think I've had the layer of it, but I was just thinking about there was a period of time and this is also like, you know, end of 2022 where I was dealing with a lot of mental health stuff and doing my trauma treatment, but memory and my dreams were so, and like reality were so twisted for me that I would have experiences that like logged themselves as memory in my brain. And I was having such a hard time figuring out. I couldn't decipher the two. It was really, really disorienting. And I don't know. I mean, you know, the brain is a powerful thing. So maybe like I wanted to be living in a dreamscape rather than in my own reality. So it was logging dreams as reality. I don't know, but it was really weird and just makes me question like what is actually happening in the dreamscape. I still feel like that. Like there's still times where I'm like, oh, remember this? I remember that. And I realized it was just a really realistic dream. Yeah. It is very freaky. The worst is when I work out in my dreams and I like think I like did my workout for the day. And I wake up and I'm like, or when I've written all of my podcast research, I did everything. Like, oh my God, I have to restart this entire thing. (laughs) Rats and squirrels. Man, man. Well, well, (laughs) this was a good one. Dreams in Bigfoot and dreaming of Bigfoot. If you've had the Inception dreams, please let us know because I'm so curious. If you also, I feel like we should start doing like a goop segment of our podcast where goop in terms like the show where she like goes and tries different things like i feel like we should go and experience things we should do like past life regression therapy we should do like a sleep study almost but yeah if there if there are like paranormal experiments that you want to see corinne and i put ourselves through let us know okay i'm making a goal for us right now that we have to complete four of them in 2024 four for 2024 I'm making us, I'm holding us accountable beyond just doing one where we have to do four. Okay. 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 One, one a quarter. What, yeah, exactly. That's low commitment. One every three months, right? Yeah. That sounds great. All right. Thank you all for listening. If you have any encounters with anything paranormal, strange, and supernatural, alien, Bigfoot creatures, cryptids. Creatures and cryptids. Ghosts. Cryptids. Ghosts and ghouls. Um, psychopomps, as we learn in episode 241, which comes out in October. Please email us at two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media, rate and review us on iTunes. Join us on Patreon for live tour, like vlogs and like 
seeing Corinne and I together on the road. It's going to be a great old time. We're going to be real goofy. I'm going to scare Corinne at night. Real fun. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Um, Yeah. Come see us live and hold my hand to make me feel better for all the things that Sabrina will be doing to me as we share a room and I don't sleep at night. (laughs) Now I'm picturing the bony hand from Grace's story. Yeah, just coming out. (gasps) Come and hold your hand. Oh my goodness. Okay, but we're looking forward to it and we can't wait to see you guys. And thank you to our team. We have an amazing team who's helping us to do a a lot of things so that we can go on tour. To to be. To To be. So thank you. And thank you to all of you who listen to our podcast. Yeah. We love you. We love you. And we will. See you on the other side.